Jim Shoemaker and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. It's time to talk money on News Talk 98.9. Here's your talk money host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome. This is Talk Money. Well, this morning, we're going to dive into some very important subjects. I am very pleased to have a guest that's with us a lot, many, many times, and does a great job. But as a frequent guest, it's just it's it's phenomenal for us to be able to dive into someone with the amount of experience that Rusty Leonard has. He's a certified financial analyst and a founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council and a frequent guest, as I said. And I want to welcome Rusty to the program. Rusty? Oh, always grateful to be with you, Jim. <laughs> All right, sir. You know, Rusty, there's so much that I want to dive in with you because you bring that wealth of knowledge and experience to the program, and there's so much going on. First of all, let me start with just simply, it's on everybody's mind, and I think it's something that I want to hear from you, the war in Ukraine. And what are what do you see as the potential implications for us as investors? And at the same time, do you see that we've already kind of calculated and figured in this idea of the war or is it still kind of being absorbed and what do you see us doing with it and i just really want to know those again potential implications i think the main point i would make on the war is that it's a wild card for investors hard to understand exactly what might come of it uh there's possibility you know already i think investors are starting to say well this isn't quite so bad as we may have thought initially and so the the markets are settling down a bit as a result of that. But on the other hand, we, we you know we know that Putin is something of a psychopath, and at any time he could take a turn in this war that would uh, cause great alarm to you know rise up once again. At the moment, it appears that he's got an embarrassing situation for himself. He totally miscalculated. He's trying to. Uh, grab some small. It looks like to us that he's trying to grab some kind of small victory that he can, you know, wave the flag and say, "See, we achieved our goals and, and quit this thing." And I think that's what most people are hoping will happen: that he'll take over the Donbass region or something like that, and then say, "Okay, we've we've done what we came to do, and stop this thing," because he's suffering quite a bit from it. Uh, just economically and militarily and politically. Uh, you know, it's achieved none of his goals. In fact, it's made everything he would like to have changed worse. So he's he's got a bad situation, and you would think logically that he should want to get out of this and or minimize the the damage as quickly as he possibly can. But unfortunately, like I said, he's a psychopath, and it may be that he's so frustrated by the losses that he's seen that he uh, he wants to do some damage uh, in another way, which could involve the use of weapons of mass destruction or other other twists and turns in this this thing. Yeah. Um, so it's a wild card. We can't really, we can say that it's trending in a way that investors would say, okay, this is a little bit better, but boy, you better not fall asleep on it because it come, might come back and bite you real quick. 
the reality is you use the word logical, and uh, that may be the problem when you think think about Putin. But I right. have to say this. When you exactly. use the word logical, I want to ask you this question. The Fed, Chairman Powell, logical. Maybe that's where I need to consider all those things. How do you see the markets reacting to what the <laughs> Fed's doing now? Is it logical? Well, you know, I, I have to criticize the Federal Reserve. I generally can look at the Fed and think this is a really uh, you know, great, sensible, logical, and extremely intelligent group of people who more often than not do the most sensible thing at the, at the right time. But boy, did they screw up this last time. They, uh, they kept convincing themselves that, trans that inflation was going to be a, a transitionary type of event that was going to just kind of go away of its own um, – of course, and of course, it did not do that, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And in March, of course, we saw the worst number yet, and again, we're going back 40-plus years since we've seen such terrible inflation numbers, and everybody's feeling it. I'm sure everybody listening to this show today is you know, making adjustments to their, their family budgets to try to uh, deal with this inflationary problem, and uh, the Fed now has finally gotten, gotten into a logical mode, a more sensible mode, and said, you know – we screwed up. We need to fix this. And so now the risk is that they overdo it on the on the fixed side. They raise rates really fast, and uh, which is what they're communicating they're going to do. They're also taking money out of the market by virtue of what they what I call quantitative squeezing. It used to be quantitative easing. Now they're going to do quantitative squeezing. They're going to squeeze the markets and take cash out. So all these things will no doubt help on the inflation front, and uh, but it may also cause a recession. So that's what what everybody's worried about, that the Fed underreacted initially and now may overreact, having let the inflation genie out of the bottle, you know, trying to get that genie back in, they may struggle and may cause some damage to the financial markets in the process. Yeah, the key is how big is the, you know, the, <laughs> how big is the genie and how big is the bottle? That's going to be the problem. So let me ask you this. When <laughs> you genie talk... isn't getting, right. <laughs> yeah. genie isn't getting smaller. <laughs> right, exactly. So I guess my question then, you mentioned the word, it's kind of, it's not a four-letter word, you know, it's really a nine-letter word, recession. But it sure does make a lot of people think of a four-letter word. The point is, are, are all the things going on? Ukraine, okay. The Fed, okay. Inflation, got it. Is all of that, and you talked about, if the, if the Fed kind of gets ahead of itself and really kind of throws the interest rate out at it, is that, are we headed into a recession? You mentioned it. I'm thinking about it. It's kind of, if January we didn't talk about it, today we're talking about it. What do you think? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a big risk uh, because the Fed could could do that. They could trigger a recession, and and with all those other things in the background that you mentioned, uh, that also plays into it in a, in a big role. So even if the Fed doesn't screw up, there could be other things that cause it to cause a recession to occur. And one of those, of course, is oil prices. Right. So we've seen oil prices jump dramatically higher, and uh, that. If you look back over history and trace recessions and oil prices, oil prices are a pretty good predictor of that at times, and uh, particularly when you have such a rapid increase, uh, that really is a shock to the global economic system. And uh, it's not just the U.S., it's the whole globe. So yes, I think recession is definitely something we should be keeping our eyes peeled for. Uh, interestingly enough, if you look back at history, more often than not, 
we're in a recession before we even know it. It's not until later that we, you know, the economists sit down and look at the numbers and say, you know, the recession started on in January, right? You said you mentioned that we hadn't even been thinking about it so much in January, but it may have been that the, the economists will turn around and say, you know, this thing really started back in January. And that has happened time and time again. So oftentimes we're not even aware we're in a recession when it's already started. And that could very well be the case now. But my guess, my best guess is that if we do see a recession, it'll be, you know, the latter half of this year and uh, or in 2023. But the risk of recession is certainly much, much higher than it has been in a long time. Well, let everybody know that is a very, very educated guess, by the way. My guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the CFA founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council and as a frequent guest of ours, does a great job. We are talking about the economy and what's going on. We've discussed the Ukraine, the Fed, a recession, and we're going to continue. But I want to remind you that coming up in the second half of the program, we're very privileged to have Jason Harrington here with us and Dane Williams, and we're going to talk about getting financially fit. That's going to be Jason's topic, and he's going to walk us through some ways of putting all this stuff and noise that we're hearing and how do you get it together and that's going to be the idea behind getting financially fit but dane is going to guide us through all the insurance claims if you've lived in memphis now in our hometown you've had probably the reason to have a claim with all the storms going on and this is what dane's going to help us walk through some of those issues that you may be having and how to fix it that's coming up in the second half of the program but now let me go back to rusty rusty we the recession word we talked about it but there's some you know we're in earnings seasons right now i mean the first quarter earnings reports coming out corporate earnings and uh there's mixed messages i mean some good some not so good what's your take well i think overall so you're going to have positive earnings i think this quarter as as we go through all the companies reporting of course you're going to have problems with you know xyz company and but abc over here is going to offset that so overall you're going to have a positive earnings scenario but it's not going to be that positive uh, you know many people think earnings might be up you know roughly five percent uh, this quarter over the previous year, whereas in the fourth quarter of last year, they were up 27%. So what you're seeing is a rapid deceleration of earnings growth. It's still growing, but it ain't as fun as it used to be. And so that also will be something that will weigh on the market. And it's flirting with, you know, it's getting low enough where uh, people who are on the pessimistic side of the equation will say, hey, I, I think earnings might fall in the second quarter or the third quarter. And obviously, inflation is playing a role in this, where if companies can't raise their prices as much as their costs are going up, that squeezes their profit margins. And that, of course, causes their, their earnings to, to drop from where they would have been otherwise. So there's a whole lot of uh, concern on that front, too. And it's something that investors really are paying close attention to, as they should, because earnings are the, the bulwark of uh, any bull market. And if you don't have the earnings prop to keep things moving forward, uh, things can get ugly uh, pretty quickly. So that's something that even if we don't have a recession, you could have what is known as an earnings recession, and that could be the result of inflation. So you may see the economy growing slowly, uh, especially on a real basis after you've adjusted for inflation. But you could see that earnings are uh, in a recession themselves, and that will cause the market some concern. That's a great point. And, you know, the reality is I read a, just a recent survey from CBS News and YouGov that was a YouGov survey. And it said 63 percent of 2000, a little over 2000 American adults that were surveyed during this the week of April, the first week of April this year, said the condition of the U.S. economy is fairly bad. That was 32 percent or very bad. Thirty one percent. 
the dominant reason that they said this, and this is so critical, and why they were disappointed in the U.S. economy were two words, inflation and the rising cost of goods and services. And then they turn around and said the housing U.S., this is from Freddie Mac, that the United States has estimated 3.8 million homes short of the demand, and it's getting tighter and tighter. And we're seeing interest rates go on. So let's go with inflation first. People are saying it's very bad, very bad the economy is, and that's that's a big, big statement, and they blame it on inflation and rising cost of goods and services. So 8.2%, is, is this where we're headed? Is it going higher, or have we peaked? Well, the economists would suggest that we've peaked just because the year-over-year comparisons are uh, are harder to beat by that amount. Uh, inflation started to rise around this time last year, and so to get an 8.2% increase in April, you're going to need to see some uh, nastier news in March, and uh, we really haven't seen that on the inflation front. So I think the pressure which of inflation and those surveys will probably, hopefully, will have peaked in March or in early April, and that we'll see the April numbers that will be reported in early May uh, be somewhat better. Now, they're not going to be great. They're still going to be pretty bad numbers, but uh, we hopefully will have seen that peak a little bit. Uh, and we're not, you know, we can't make that claim just yet, but we have seen used car prices, for example, which have been a big contributor to the higher higher prices. They leveled off and went down some. Uh, we've seen oil prices come off the peak a little bit. They're still very high, but they're not continuing to rise. And so I think there's a chance that we may have seen the peak of the inflation pressures hit already. And while while we all understand exactly what those people answering that survey were talking about, because we feel it all ourselves as a result of this inflation, the economy isn't that bad. Uh, the economy is better than uh, what they think it is. It's just that they're feeling it at the pump when they go and fill up their gas tank, when they go to buy their groceries. It's just, it's just smacking them in the face. Uh, and it makes it seem like the economy is much worse than it is. But the economy is actually not quite as bad as uh, as people probably think it is. It could get there, right? We could get into a recession, as we talked about earlier, but it's not that bad yet. Well, I was reading that the consumer sentiment is up a little bit, you know, March over February, but still a lot of pessimism. When, I, when I, you talk about Freddie Mac putting out that 3.8 million homes were short, 3.8 million homes, as uh, the demand that exists in our, you know, it's a single family homes now that exist in our country, in the United States. So here's my question. Has the boom in the housing market begin to, even though we got a shortage, with interest rates now for a 30-year mortgage on a conventional loan, about 5.2% for, you know, is that is that going to start the, is that rolling it over? Is that going to stop it? Is it going to, I won't call it a boom to a bust, but is it a, is it a tremendous slowdown? Let's talk about that. Yes, the the market has reacted uh, to that, you know, over demand. So there's more demand than there is supply, right? So you've seen two things happen that are of crucial consequence to the housing market that will likely slow it down quite a bit. One is what you mentioned: the uh, mortgage rate has basically doubled off the bottom. You know, it's probably hit a low of around two and a half percent on a thirty-year, a little more than a year ago. It's now over five. And the second thing is how home prices themselves have gone through the moon. And when you combine those two things, uh, the affordability index for housing has just shot through the roof. So the, the highest inflation that we're seeing anywhere is not at the, at the pump or not at the, uh, at the uh, grocery store. It's when you go to buy a house. 
And so people are being priced out of that market and they just can't get the financing. They go to the, go to the bank and say, here's this house. I'd like to buy it. Um, and the bank looks at it and says, well, you can't afford it. Sorry, we can't give you that mortgage. And so that's what, what is happening right now. And so, uh, we're seeing, uh, housing, um, sales numbers, you know, starting to reflect that. And there, are, there also is people who own a house are not in a great mood, mood to sell. They're looking at it and saying, you know what, this is my best option is to stay here in this house. Because when they go out and look at the pricing of other homes and other options they have, they're, they're not better. So uh, people are staying in their homes. And that's also re- reducing the supply of homes available for sale, pushing the price up, pushing more people out of the market, and reducing the amount of housing uh, transactions that are taking place. So yes, I think the, the housing boom, I don't know if the boom in house prices is over, but I think uh, the boom in the number of transactions is over. I think uh, we're going to see this housing market uh, slow down. You're not going to see as many homes bought or sold. Uh, it's just you know, there's just too many people are priced out of the market. You know, that uh, makes me kind of think when you talk about two, and we're priced out. How do you feel? Are you are you at this point pessimistic or still some optimism for the rest of the year? We talked about recession. We talked about the Ukraine war, the idea behind the Fed raising rates uh, in, you know, inflation's, you know, peaked maybe. Are you pessimistic? I am. I am more, you know, you have to be right. That's a that's a big bunch of very consequential items for the economy and even more so for the for the stock market. So I'm probably a little more optimistic on the economy than I am for the stock market because the stock market entered this in a very overvalued state. But I'm not totally pessimistic. Uh, the reason the stock market is um, in an overvalued state and, and wasn't an overvalued state was mainly because of just a few number of technology companies that were priced through the moon. And with the, the market moving lower so far this year, we're seeing that if you take, the, say, the top 10 largest market cap companies out of the index and you look at the rest of them and you say, are they, do they look expensive? They look more fairly priced right now. They're, we've seen uh, between earnings rising and value and you know, P.E. ratios falling as the stock market falls, you've seen, uh, you've seen a, good, a good gain, I, I should say, in the affordability. You know, we have houses being unaffordable, but stocks are becoming more affordable. And uh, especially if you exclude the top 10 largest companies that are still kind of stupidly expensive. And if you look at below, it's kind of the companies you never think of. Uh, they're, they're priced at reasonable rates. It's not like, you, you know, they're not as uh, scary. So if we can keep the economy together, keep it, you know, if we keep the Fed from making a mistake, which is a big if, but if the economy can kind of trundle through this without going into recession, uh, I think the, the, there's a good chance that some of these stocks will do just fine. Well, it's kind of like you're saying the market's on sale. So look at it and make some decisions. And, and that's what you do. And do you buy when things are on sale? Now, we just got about a minute left. Let me ask this question. What are the implications if the Republicans take control of the House and the Senate in November? Well, you know, it's 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 hard to say that there will be big changes, right? Because already, with thanks to Joe Manchin, we've been able to stymie uh, – and Kristen Simmons, Kirsten Simmons to a, a certain extent. We've been able to stymie uh, – the Republicans have been able to stymie the uh, – whatever Joe Biden's really been trying to do. So there, there hasn't – you know, they haven't – other than through executive orders, he hasn't been able to accomplish much. Uh, and, but he will still be president. And so then he will be able to stymie the Congress. 
from doing what they want to do. He'll be able to uh, put through uh, vetoes wherever he doesn't like something. So uh, it may be that there's not much of a change, but I think there will be an attitudinal change that the you know the chances of terrible things happening from our government will be reduced, and uh, that the tr- you know the trend will be moving in the in the right direction uh, from a, at least from a financial markets perspective. That'll and I think you might see some ability on the energy front to kind of get that part of the. Uh, of our economy going again, because uh, Biden has really stepped on that, and the pressure might be uh, so great to kind of get oil prices down that uh, they would have to kind of restart up our U.S. energy uh, business, especially considering that you have this Ukraine situation in the background. We and uh, I won't go into. We don't have time to go into all the other stuff, yeah. but there, I think those are the main implications. There's really not as it's not as great as we would like it to be, but it's better on the margin. Well, great, great insights. Always a pleasure, my friend, to have you on the program. You always do a great job explaining to us and helping us understand what's happening in the economy. That's Rusty Leonard, certified financial analyst, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. Coming up when we get back, we're going to talk with Dane Williams and Jason Harrington. Jason's going to give us some insight into getting financially fit. And Dane's going to help us go through our paying that insurance claim. We're going to figure that out. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Talk Money. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money, and we thank you for being a part of the program. My guest now is Jason Harrington. We're going to talk about getting financially fit. He's a managing director at Shoemaker Financial. Coming up after him will be Dane Williams. He's a risk advisor also at his Shoemaker Insurance Company. And we're going to make sure you understand two things, how to get financially fit. That's a that's a problem for a lot of people. You think it's just something that just happens. But if you ever go to the gym and you sit down with your coach and he says you need to lose some weight, you look at him and go, I know that. You didn't have to tell me that. How am I going to do that? Well, guess what? When you got to get financially fit, you probably know that, but we got to have a coach. Jason's going to help us know, go through the process of being a coach for us today, telling us how to get through the process so that you can go from weighing 190 pounds to 150 pounds. Now, I feel attacked. Yeah. <laughs> just, you looked right at me when you said that. I didn't that. say that. I didn't say that. But welcome to the program, Jason. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I'm glad to be here and glad to talk about getting financially fit. I hope we do. I hope I do better at that than my, uh, my current health you goals. Know, the, the problem is we all identify. As soon as I see that picture, I'm thinking, you know, I've been told you got to do 20 push-ups or this. And but the reality is it's all the same. I mean, it's whether so you accurate. go to the gym or you you have to put the paper down and say, I'm going to get ready to get myself into gear and do the financial planning that I need to get the proper insurance. Dane's going to talk about that. But it's it's just 
getting it done. It How doesn't do you happen do overnight. It? No, it doesn't. So start us with that. Where does a person start when it comes to getting financially fit? When you're going to get financial fit, it, this is probably the hardest part of getting financially fit is getting started. And, and I'll tell you why. One it's, it's going to require you do a complete inventory of what all you've are already got going. And so I know I can only speak from the people that I serve and that we serve at our, at our company. So our, most of our clients are going to range somewhere between we've got all of our financial stuff in the scissor drawer. <laughs> you know, I've probably seen it come in the box, yeah, the and shoe, and shoe box. box, you know, <laughs> somewhere in the scissor drawer in the kitchen to everything being perfectly ad- allocated and organized in a file. And there's somewhere in between. Uh, I've seen you know, the ones come in with a file, and it's all color-coded. Oh, that, and I us mean, too. I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, and, I, mean, I wish I could do that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, so it's it's typically they're somewhere in between, or they got a little bit stuck here in the, in the kitchen drawer and a little bit in a filing cabinet. So that's a bit of a daunting task to try to go and gather all of the information that you have going on. It can take a lot of time, uh, especially today where people either elect intentionally or inadvertently elect to have paperless statements. You know, we now get mortgage reminders on our text and that's kind of something you delete right away and you don't, it's out of sight, out of mind. And so when people don't have those hard copies, they've got a half a dozen websites that they have stuff at. They don't remember all their passwords. They set it up as their dog's name one time, their child's name the other time. And it could be a, a bit of a, a problem to just remember where all your things are. So that could be a bit of a daunting task. But that's step one is just to gather all your information. You know, and once you gather it, it's communicating where it is. I mean, we've got people. I know we had someone recently at the office that talked just about how to put that together called the love letter. Absolutely. And that's it's really communicating because you might have everything in the box. We, I have some clients that say, just go get the box and go to Jim's office. Right. You know? And I get that. I do. But the problem is, if something's not in the box, oh, my where is goodness, it? where is it? And that can be a real, as you said, daunting task to put it together when there's nobody there who knows. That's right. I had a client, a couple in my office the other day. I said, well, where do you guys range on the organization scale? And she said, oh, we're very disorganized. The husband was like, wait, no, we've got all this upstairs. In the, and so they didn't even know. But I think the second hardest thing about getting started is to start to allocate where you're spending your money. Mm. Uh, and most people don't live, quote unquote, on a budget. They may not spend more than they make and they're watching their account, but they don't know how much they spend on gas or, you know, or at Kroger or going out to eat. They just, they do it and they, they don't overspend, but but they're estimating. And so obviously with estimates, you know, that that is incorrect. I can manage estimates. I mean, my estimate, I just throw it in the miscellaneous. Miscellaneous. You get a bucket of leftover money. That's not there. Right. That's right. Four items I spend money on. Everything else is miscellaneous. It's miscellaneous. That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. We know I, I spend money on my house. And then after that, that's it. Who knows? But so that can be a bit overwhelming to try to calculate how much do we spend on groceries? How much do we spend on gym memberships or, or, or just cable. life cable. cable? It's, it's different. Our, our utilities bills, not the same every month. So that can be a bit overwhelming for clients to try to get those two pieces, which are really critical because you only, you need to know what you're doing and what you've already done to see how that's going to work for you in the future. And two, most families have 
a finite amount of money coming into their house on a month to month basis. And you're going to use that money to live life and to allocate and plan for the future. So if you don't know where your money's going and you don't know how you're spending money or how much you have left over, it makes the planning process really difficult. So you have to start with those two pieces. I will tell you this, if a client can get, or uh, our listeners out there can get past those two pieces, that's the most labor intensive part. The rest of financial planning becomes very liberating. It's fun. It's exciting to start talking about. You know, stuff. Jason, I, I think you're, you're talking about a subject to a lot of people is one of those things. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. They even make the new year resolution. I mean, yeah. it comes up January and by February the 1st, it's not being done. So what do you find that sometimes it takes a, an event that triggers this, that says, I got to do this now, I've got to make this happen? Do you see that going on or, or people, do you see people stepping up and being disciplined to do it? Oh, I think you have people who are just genetically predisposed to be organized. <laughs> I got it. Uh, and, I'm and, married and, to one yes, of those. Yes, I was going to say, my, <laughs> my wife is just built to, to be on top of things. Um, I think by and large, most people have good intentions. They want to do that. They know being financially fit is a good thing to do and it's smart. Um, But many times it does take a triggering event. I mean, we see that in our office when, you know, you have either a market crisis or jobs get laid off or they have a death of a friend or a death of a family member. People start to be like, oh my goodness, I saw what they went through we need to we need to get this better. We have a baby. We buy a new home. So a lot of times there's triggering events. All right. So we got to get it all together. Okay. In folders, box, whatever you want to put it. But you got to get it all together. Now you said that's kind of the labor intensive side. This next part can become very exciting and, and passionate about it because it's your goal setting. What do you do? What do you talk about that? The goal setting part is the fun part of financial planning. Because when you get to kind of let your mind go and say what what do we want to accomplish. Um, and a lot of people, when they come into financial plan, they will have an idea, kind of a cloudy idea of what they would like to see done. Yeah. We'd like to retire comfortably, but you know, really what does comfortably mean? I mean, that's a different meaning for a lot of different people. Um, you know, we'd like to be able to go see our grandkids. So being able to really define those things of what would happen in the event of a death or what would happen, uh, if this life that you have planned out doesn't walk down this straight path that you that you have kind of envisioned at the red light uh, with your wife. So. Yeah, you know, when you talk about the word comfortable, I try to tell people, you know, if you're accustomed to watching, till, you know, the 60-inch color TV, well, now it's 90-inch color right. TV at home, you don't want to go back to watching the 14-inch black and white. No, yes. And, and so being comfortable is defined by that individual and that couple. If it were, you can't, what my comfortable thought might be differently than what you're comfortable. That's so right. everybody's unique there, and it does take more than just, as you said, I like that thought, the discussion at the red light, that's yes. not enough. And, mo- and it's funny. A lot of married couples, they have these conversations, they have these goals and aspirations, but they've happened, you know, at 850 at night, right before the, you know, right after kids go to bed, you know, and so being able to talk through that with someone who can ask questions and probe a little bit and get you to be a little more clear on the definition. Again, you align those goals. And once you set your goals out, you have to prioritize which one of these are most important, because again, there's only a hundred pennies in a dollar. And some of those are already accounted for, you know, for bills and groceries. 
And so you need to prioritize these goals, you know, so that the money you have left over can go and achieve the most important ones that you want to accomplish. You know, my wife and I used to do this on a regular basis. We would go up into the Ozarks and, you know, stay at a place that had a, when the kids were young, they had an indoor pool. And so put the kids in the pool. We would set up underneath the umbrella and look, and this would be dead of winter, January, when the kids were not swimming normally. So this was fun for them. And we would plan. We brought our book. We brought all the things, and I can remember my wife said, well, I would like to, to get a bedroom furniture. Now, granted, that was easy for me to agree to because we had only been married a couple of years, and I was still living in a bed that was the canopy bed with pink flowers on it that was hers. Absolutely. That was not what I – she got my attention when she said, I'd like to get some new – and, you know, the dresser drawers over there where my socks was was white with a little pink flower. Thought about that said, yeah, I think that's a good idea. What she did, though, and talk about where you're saying, you know, put things together, she brought me a book with pictures of what she was looking at and with the cost. And I said, let's work on this budget together. We would we would work it together. So it was the communication that you're talking about, and it, it does take effort on both parts. Absolutely. It's a good exercise to really articulate those goals out. Many, many times, husbands and wives will have not necessarily opposing goals. Uh, their goals are running in parallel with each other, but they haven't really clearly defined, hey, this is what I'd like to see happen. I brought her the picture of a bass boat, and yeah, it, didn't it didn't go, go over good. Right, I mean, it wasn't what she was looking for. You know? yeah, she, she <laughs> it did, didn't fit. Yeah, you lost that battle. <laughs> I lost no. that battle. All right, let's talk about insurance. Dana, I want to lean in with you as we talk about insurance. Insurance can be such a big topic for a lot of people because it's hard to know. We know homeowner's insurance, car insurance, those things start out the first month. So tell me about that. Dane Williams? He's the insurance risk manager at Shoemaker Financial. What do you talk about? Yeah, so when you're talking about getting financially fit, insurance is obviously going to be a piece of that, right? Uh, it's something that we're required by law to have auto insurance. Your mortgage company is going to require you to have home insurance. So we want to make sure that uh, not only is it a part of your budget and that you know what it costs, you know what you're spending that money on, but also that you've got adequate coverage that's there. Because I think Jason would agree, absolutely one of the biggest disasters you can experience financially is if you had a poor insurance policy and then life happens. Wow, life happens. And, you know, you the idea of life insurance gives you the peace of mind knowing that if something does happen, that I am going to be able to take care of my family. So that's that foundational part. You're talking about homeowners, you know, the fire, you know, rain damage. We'll talk about that with Dane in a few minutes where we're talking about the claims. But knowing all the benefits of your insurance and the benefits from your company also, Jason. Absolutely. And, and just to piggyback a little bit off what Dane said, many of our clients, when we get deeper into the financial planning process, we find that they have not looked at their car insurance or their homeowner's insurance. They set that up when they bought their home or bought their car, but it's been four or five, six years since they've, they've looked at that and so much has changed for them. And so it's, it's a healthy exercise to review those things and make sure they're still adequate. They're still priced appropriately given what's going on in the marketplace. Um, with regard to benefits, I think it's not uncommon for people to just have the benefit through their work but not really fully understand the benefit of their work and how it, uh, the benefits from their work and how it fits into their overall financial plan. I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, most companies will offer disability insurance. Disability insurance says you're unable to perform at your workplace due to a sickness or an illness, an injury that's going to keep you out of work. Um, and they'll tell us, well, what, my company's going to pay 60% of my income. Um, and what 
most clients don't realize is that that 60% is a taxable event. So it's really not quite 60%. It's 60% minus whatever you would pay in taxes. So it may come out to be 40, 45% of their income and that there is typically a cap to that. Um, so if they're earning over that cap, the company is not going to pay them 60% of their total income. It's going to be 60% up to some cap. So the reality is when you talk about, you're talking about getting some communication going on between the, the, the family, get everybody involved. And then at that point, set some priorities, some goals. And you talked about prioritization of those goals, right. if reviewing the insurance. And Dane's going to help us a little bit more with that in a second. Uh, knowing your benefits. What about just once you get it done, I know you just don't go put it on the shelf and forget it. You can't do that. You got to come back to it. Tell me about that. No, you have to review this plan every day because at the beginning, you're going to make some educated assumptions. I mean, we, we talked this morning about some or earlier in the show about some, you know, educated guesses about the market and what's going to happen. So we're doing the same thing with our clients. We're making some, you know, assumptions based on history that we're going to earn eight percent or and that doesn't happen in a straight line and so you have to review every year so that you can course correct quickly if you wait four or five years little small course corrections over the course of four or five years can be a big correction five years from now you know i i think what you're saying is the big correction the whole mindset the idea behind this it you just it's hard to do this by yourself I mean, there's some people that can, you know, the DIY guy that can do it yourself. I get that. But what we're really looking at is somebody who leans in and helps them do that. And that's really what you do is guiding them through the maze of putting something together. It's like the coach at the gym. That's right. You know, I mean, I may do 20 push-ups, and he says, Jim, 50 is what I expect. <laughs> and he's, and course, not, he's kidding. <laughs> and not just push-ups, but are you doing them the right way, the right, the right way. form, so that you don't hurt yourself, you don't make mistakes. Uh, you know, that's a lot of what we do is a lot of our clients, all of our clients are smart, professional, intellectual people, uh, and they know to do saving their 401k. They know to do these things, but they don't necessarily know the right form, the absolute, are you using the right technique? And our job is to kind of help filter through that noise. I like that. I like the fact that we're guiding them through, helping them make, get through the maze of all the stuff that goes on. And speaking of stuff, if you ever had a claim where you had your roof removed from your house? Unfortunately, yes. Yes, I have too. And that's stuff. Now, Dane, let me ask you this. When we talk about all the things that go on, you got hell damage. We've had, you know, freezing pipes again. We've had all those things go on. I mean, more trees falling down on houses and stuff like that. How does, what's the homeowner's responsibility when it comes to filing a claim? Yeah. So when it comes to damage that's been occurred at your home, uh, one of the things that you want to make sure you've done is you have prepared to stop any further damage occurring, taking reasonable measures, right? Uh, if the front door has been blown open, there's storm going in, close the door, right? Don't let more rain come in, right? <laughs> that's, that's simple. I could get that. Yeah. You want to try to figure out what is the cause of the damage and stop it. And then you want to report that claim in a timely manner uh, and reach out to your agent, reach out to the insurance company and start the ball rolling. Is there one better than the other, agent or insurance company? So it's really going to depend. Um, a lot of times it's going directly to the insurance company may get things moving quicker because they've got the line directly to the adjusters that are going to ultimately write the check. 
but sometimes it's not really cut and dry if you should file a claim because one, you've got your deductible, that's at least $1,000 usually, and sometimes several thousand dollars. And if you've got the repair of whatever is damaged that's not going to exceed that, or the damage was caused by something that's not covered under your policy, then you don't want to have that claim on your record. So a lot of times a good agent there can kind of step in and say, hey, let me get a contractor out there to take a look at it and see what this is going to cost to fix or maybe what caused this. And then from there, we can work together to decide, does this make sense to, to file a claim? If your house burns down completely, that's pretty cut and dry, right? Just go ahead and file a claim. I like the fact that you said work together because, I mean, again, here I am. I'm looking at my house. I mean, I've experienced a fire. We had a fire at the building years ago. And so I, oh my goodness, you look at the, you know, it's burning, you got firemen all over the place and, and, you know, as you're experiencing, it's one thing. And then the next day you got to walk through all the damage and, you know, it just comes at you like, oh, wow. That's when you kind of need that person who comes alongside you and, you know, works with you. And a good agent does that. I know you do that and you work hard with people when that happens. You don't just, you know, say, oh, call a company. You're really right there with them. Absolutely. You know, we've seen a rise in the industry of some of these, uh, you know, technology forward insurance companies that are cutting agents out, honestly. But we've seen most of them struggle to really gain hold because when you've got two feet of water in your living room and your kids baby books floating across the floor there, the last thing you want to do is download an app to upload a video. You want to talk to a person that's going to look you in the eye and say, it's going to be OK. I'm going to put somebody, life back yeah, together. It was critical for me to have someone to meet me in, and uh, not someone, my agent to meet and say, hey, here's what we're going to do. Do, this is what we're going to take care of. And within days, I literally, I had a, you know, had immediately had a to check to get started and we knew what we we're doing. And then we begin to plan and work for that and go from their standpoint. How, how long does a claim stay on someone's record? So uh, once you filed that claim, it's usually about five years, depending on the carrier. Now, um, the surcharge that comes on your premium that you're feeling for having filed that claim, it is more punitive directly thereafter and gets gradually less punitive the longer there. So you're not having to pay as much for it. I, I got to ask the question. Sure. Why am I going to get, I bet I've had a claim, haven't had a claim in 20 years. Sure. But then uh, all of a sudden. When, you're, uh, when your office burned down not long ago, I would imagine whatever they paid out exceeded what you had paid in premiums probably, just, right? Just a little bit. Yeah. And, and that kind of thing happens frequently. Like when, when houses burn down, when tornadoes come through and whatnot, there is some level of, look, we're all kind of sharing in this burden together with these premiums. And this year, you may not be the one that benefits from that, right? But life's going to happen to us all at some point. You want to make sure that the funds are there. But the punitive goes away eventually. It does, yeah. Okay, here's my question then. Should anybody be concerned with all the claims that are going on that we've seen? I mean, there's tons. I mean, it's a lot of claims happening right now in our city. Yeah. Should they be concerned about being dropped from their insurance carrier? So one claim usually doesn't do that. Um, it, it's rare to see it unless the insurance company is suspecting fraud or something like that, or, or maybe you had a bunch of claims before you got to them that, that could potentially do it. But usually one claim is not going to do that. Whenever we start to see multiples, though, that's when some of the carriers start to analyze and say, hey, th this may not make sense for us. You, you may not be the best bet for us as a customer. Uh, so, so we're going to get off this risk. Um, and at that point, more than ever, it's a, uh, a great idea to make sure that you've got a good insurance broker, an independent agent that represents several different companies so that you can go, we can go find you other coverage that exists out there. And we've already know your record. You know, the thing that you mentioned, that, that independent, and I know when we started the idea behind developing the insurance company there at, at, the, at the office, we really wanted, I mean, we were offered, you know, being captive. We really wanted to have that independence. Explain the difference between independent 
and a captive agent. Yeah, and there are great insurance agents on both sides. I'm not knocking it either way. Absolutely. I'm just wanting to explain the difference. Sure. Uh, when we are independent, what that means is I don't represent just one insurance company. There are several that we represent. So whenever we go to get quotes, we're going to shop the market, try to find who's got the best coverage out there at the best price for our clients. That's the critical part. That's the thought behind it is getting you're, – you're doing the shopping – to get the best price for the client. Absolutely. And it's going to save you from having to talk to 14 different insurance agents and having them all blow you up trying to sell you a product. So it's easier when we do that for you. I like it. I like it, Dave. You do a great job, my friend. You know, the good part about it is I sense, and I know this, that if I had a claim and I'm going to call, I want to call Dane because as you're standing beside me, you can help me understand what to do. Yeah, that, that's that's what we want to do. We want to make sure walking, you know, arm in arm with our clients, make sure that they're going to be able to put life back like it was before the claim and that they're taken care of all along the way. That's the key. That's the key. Well, thank you, my friend. I want to thank my guest, Rusty Leonard, Jason Harrington, and Dane Williams. Of course, they did a great job for us today. If you have questions for Rusty, Jason, or Dane, you can reach them at 901-757-5757. By the way, you can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just simply search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review. We would appreciate it. Next week, my guests, Drew Johnson and Scott Jordan, they're going to talk about responding to rising interest rates. How do you do that? Shannon Dyson's also going to talk about taking control of your company's health care expenses. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and again Sunday at 12 noon right here on News Talk Radio 98.9, the roar of Memphis, Tennessee. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to be a part of your morning, and we appreciate you sending us and uh, letting us know if you've got questions. All you have to do is send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get your questions on the air. Thank you again for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Jason Harrington are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of News Talk 98.9 or Cumulus Media, affiliates and or advertisers. Talk Money is heard every Saturday morning at 7. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker, heard again tomorrow at 12 noon, helping you make the most of your money. For more information, go to Newstalk98.9.com.